Hello, John Schuler. Hello, Brandon Gore. Another beautiful week in the concrete world. We got a great guest this week, Remick Evooch of Concrete Shop. Evooch. I'm looking forward to yeah. talking to Remick. It's been, I've known Remick for years. Remick is one of the great characters in this industry. He's so outspoken and yeah. uh, opinionated, but everything that he says is, uh, it always rings true. Like he, he's very straightforward and honest, which I appreciate in people. And Remick is that. I remember when I first met him at a at one of the epics, the same thing. I spent a lot of time, and I was instantly drawn to Remick because of his personality, yeah. actually. Yeah. I really like Remick. Yeah. Same here. Heck of a guy. So let's hit a few things real quick before we get to Remick. And I know that's going to be a fun interview, so I don't want to spend too much time on in our, in our intro today. Uh, a few things. Number one is we have scheduled the next Concrete Design School Pinnacle Concrete Camp. It is going to be the last concrete design school pinnacle concrete camp held at my studio in eureka springs arkansas so this is the rammed earth shop that i built six years ago a lot of great classes have been held here and it's yeah. going to be the end of an era for this training venue uh, i sold the property and so we're going to be moving not sure where yet I, i'm i've got properties i have to go look at but someplace in a different state we'll, we'll figure that out but Eureka Springs in the summertime, so we're going to, before I get to Eureka Springs, let's talk about the class. It's going to be June 20th through the 25th. Go to concretedesignschool.com to register. It's going to be six days. Brandon Gore, Dusty Baker, John Schuler, GFRC, ECC, UHPC, Fabric Forming, Concrete Sinks, Concrete Countertops, Dusty Crete, Upright Casting of John Schuler, Ceiling, yeah. Finishing, Sales and Marketing, and just a really, really good time. So I'm looking forward to it. Eureka Springs in the summertime, Eureka Springs, this town we're in, it's in the Ozark Mountains. It's a tourist town and it's a town built in the 1800s. It's a beautiful mountain town, but in the summertime, it's packed. And it's, a, it's amazing because all the restaurants are open, all the music venues are open, the bars are open, shops are open, and it's just a really fun place to come in the summertime. My favorite classes are the ones we have in summer uh, just because the town is so alive and fun. Wintertime is great as well, but everything is closed in the winter. All the shops are closed. All the restaurants are closed. But in the summertime, it's different. So it's going to be one last hoorah here, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, June 20th to 25th. We've already had several registrations. I announced it last night about midnight. I sent an email blast. And since then, we've had several people register. Tons of interest. I think this one's going to sell out pretty quick. So if you want to get in, sign up today, number one. Number two is glass fiber and PVA fiber. Yeah. Silica Systems is who we're referring people now to, correct? Isn't that correct? correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. it was Nikon, but the problem was Nikon, the glass fiber that they stocked, isn't necessarily the ones uh, that we would prefer to use, but Silica Systems is is carrying the fibers. And I think the pricing was slightly better too, a Silica Systems. So, yeah. so Silica Systems is who you should hit up if you want fiber. Yeah. The only thing they didn't have was the Again, it's still the, the more of a PVA issue. Well, only a PVA issue. PVA 100 still are not available. And so Silica Systems didn't have the PVA 400s in stock. But Nikon, I just called them, and I just ordered some PVA 400s from them. So that's what I ended up ordering from them. And then I ordered all my glass fiber and stuff through Silica Systems and my PVA 15s. Yeah. If you want to continue the conversation, go to Facebook, like Kodiak Pro, join the Kodiak Pro discussion group. We've had several people this week on the discussion group with great uh, topics. Yeah. So we had a comment on the Kodiak Pro discussion group uh, yesterday 
from Stephen Coates, and he said, Coates, yeah. yeah, he says, and I quote, just wow, poured my first SEC Maker's Mix, small sink, unbelievably easy to work with, like pouring hot butter. I love to yeah, hear awesome. it. awesome. I love to hear it. So a lot of people are finding success with Kodak Pro products. Hopefully, if you haven't made the switch, you will, and you'll see what everybody else is seeing. So there's that. Perspective. But, yeah. It needs perspective. You need perspective. Join the discussion group. Follow us on Instagram. We have a Concrete Podcast Instagram. We have a Kodiak Pro Instagram. That'll be in the description on this podcast. And lastly, we still have this promotion. It's going to be ending June 1st. So if you want to do it, let's do it. Upgrade your concrete mix. Upgrade your business. Upgrade your life. Make a short video. Share why you made the switch to Kodiak Pro. What specifically is better about the mix? And how has or how will these improvements help your business? So make this video, share it to your social media, send us a copy of it. We will discount your next palette of Maker Mix or Rad Mix $250. So you get $250 off your next palette. But this promotion is only good until June 1st. So if you want to do it, let's do it. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get it going. And uh, that's pretty much all I have. John, what do you have? No, that's it. Other than... I. Um it's come to my attention more and more the, over the last couple of weeks. Well, not the week before because I was gone, but I need to have a, I'll probably put it in the Q&A section, a lot more information on the goods, the bads, the differences, the whys, the wins of PVA fiber versus glass fiber. So I've been getting a lot more of that recently from guys um, making the choices, how to blend them, when to use them. So I'm going to be updating a lot of that information here. And we may just devote a podcast to it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've done a lot of podcasts about it, but I think a lot of people haven't listened to all the podcasts yet, so maybe they missed that episode. Because this is episode, I think, 36 or 37. That's a lot. Yeah. 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 I listened back. The very first episode of the Concrete Podcast, I've now made it private so you can't hear it because it's so cringe when I listen to it. (laughs) I'm I'm glad we're still doing it issue or issue uh episode 36 36 that yeah. Was yeah. yeah we'll have so. to have a 40 party 40. something yeah Woo-hoo. well john without further ado let's get remick on here yeah let's give remick a call i look forward to talking to remick our guest today on the concrete podcast is the f- is that What is going on over there? What is that? Say it. Just say my name. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Doing this from the subway, it sounds like. Okay. Take two. Our guest today on the Concrete Podcast is Remick Evooch, the concrete shop. He's in New Jersey, been around since 2003, 2004. What's going on, Remick? Hey, Remick. Great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Doing great, man. Yeah, That's good. I guess you are the the, the Joe Rogans of uh, concrete. So Remick, I mean, I've known you forever. John's known you forever. We've all known each other forever, but it's been a long time. A long yeah. time, yes. It's it's good to hear you guys. It's good to be heard. Especially you, Brendan. Yep, yep, yep. Congratulations on your podcast. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with being a small business because you're a one-man shop, essentially. You have helpers sometime. I'm a one-man shop. John is too. And I think a lot of people start into the industry and they feel like they have to get bigger, they have to get more employees, more equipment, more space, whatever it is. 
But uh, mm-hmm. there's another path, and that path is intentionally staying small. So you want to talk about that? Yes. So what I can tell you is initially it was not my you know, idea, but I guess it just – the reason I thought I would grow, uh, the reasons that I thought I would grow were very emotional. I just, you know, I didn't have enough experience. I don't, I didn't know anybody who would have a big company with people. So, so everything I knew about business was just, you know, from reading and, and, you know, television. And I imagined, which is just something crazy. If you, if I think about it, I imagined that things would just fall into its place and I would just have all these, you know, people coming to, to, you know, to buy my products and I would just hire people. And then of course, as, as you guys know very well, it's not so easy. So, uh, you know, I tried different things. I tried different people. And I actually had a guy for, I think, for maybe six or seven years with me. Um, but I split. Uh, not I, I wouldn't say anything bad about him at the moment or, or, you know, anything about my other employees. I just think it at takes certain moment, person, Yeah, that. No, really. No, give, really. give it some time. Give him some time takes, and he's, uh, he'll have some bad yeah, stuff to say. Give yeah. him a minute. <laughs> give him a minute. Yeah, get him, get I, him um, riled up and then we'll get him going. Go ahead. I, um, <laughs> I think it just takes certain personality to manage people and to be able to actually run a, a business. And I and I realized I, I'm not that person, you know. So I decided I may change my mind, but if I do change my mind, I know I will have to get some some good training about managing people and you know what works what doesn't work although i've learned a lot i've learned how to delegate work you know which was a huge lesson for me because i come from a family of control freaks you know people who are very passionate about what they do and i wasn't able to get a, you know get away from a, from a, a production and then i and i realized that i can do it uh, and actually i also learned that people can actually do my work better than i can so there was there was a new something very new for me so I guess I could, if I if I ever decide to grow this business or something else, um, I will definitely have a diff- much much different approach, and I'll have to sort of decide that okay, I'm building a business and I need to do it, quote unquote, professionally. Me personally, what I've come to realize is I went from being a one man shop to two to three, all the way up to nine people total, me, a front office person, and then oh. seven people in the back, mm-hmm. and that was during the crazy housing boom. And yep. I went from that to the crash to three guys mm-hmm. and then two, just me and a helper, Sean, who I had with me forever, back down to just mm-hmm. me for the most part. I have Aiden. He helps me part time. But I really, really, really enjoy being alone in my shop. Like mm-hmm. I've come to realize I enjoy solitude. I enjoy not having anybody ask me questions, not having to monitor what they're doing. I can just put in my headphones, yeah. listen to a podcast, burn some incense and just work and focus on what I want to focus on. And I, I really enjoy it. Like the days that I'm not managing anybody, the days I'm just in my shop alone are my favorite happiest days. And so there's a lot to be said for mm-hmm. peace of mind and happiness. I mean, we yep. start businesses to not work for somebody and then we get employees and mm-hmm. we end up working for our employees. <laughs> You know, yeah, for the employees, I got to yeah. be here at 8 a.m. because he's here at 8 a.m. I got to stay till five because he has to stay till five. You know, I got to uh-huh. be here Monday through Friday because he has to be here Monday through Friday. I don't want to do that. I got to uh-huh. make twice the amount of money I was thinking because I need to cover that paycheck as well as my paycheck. And there's some and theories on that. Really, it should be six times is one calculation. If you have uh-huh. an employee, they need to be generating six times their salary to make them viable as an employee. Once you factor in taxes and all, uh-huh. all the stuff that goes into it, it needs to be six times, a multiple of six for what you pay them is what they should be generating. And I don't think most people are generating six times their their uh, salary. 
it's an interesting that's an interesting um, metric and uh, i think because if you think about it just you know just just basic numbers how much how much work do you need to put out to make to make a good living you know and it, of course let's say I, I sort of where i live of course it's it's you know uh, life here is fairly expensive because it's the east coast i don't i don't know about you guys where you know whether it's more expensive or less but where i live you know housing is expensive everything is expensive so uh, i think i i you know me and my family and remember i'm an immigrant so i don't you know i don't go for vacation <laughs> You know? Really? I thought that accent just, was a Chicago accent or Boston or something. No, <laughs> no. He's making it up. He's like, exactly. doing, uh, yeah. I'm just He's making, making fun of Polish people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not telling us about his acting classes that he's taken. He's been working uh, on this accent for a while. So, so listen, I, I, you know, in my, in my, um, in my good months, I'd like to put out, let's say, fifty thousand dollars of of work. Okay, and it's doable. Let's say with the, with the one person helping you once in a while, or you know, let's say two weeks out of four, to put out fifty thousand dollars, that's that's a lot of work. And then, how much do you pay those people, those those who work for you? And that's actually something else that made me uh, sort of um, very unhappy with with uh, having people work for me because I wish I could pay them more. And I actually, even though I pay them fairly well. I felt like you know what you can't you can't make a good living you know making twenty five dollars an hour here, and if I want to pay you thirty dollars an hour, then it cuts into my profits, and you know I need to pay you like every day. I can't just let you go because you know I'm slow, and that's very problematic. So I really admire companies that can handle that sort of you know pressure of of the payroll and have all those contracts coming in. To me, it's just, just I don't know. It's it's a lot of stress. It's just uh, it's a lot of stress, and it's a lot of it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, but I but like I said, you had uh, what's his name, Brian, I think, was on your show, who was talking about like having a company that just works for him and he can go for walks and everything. He, he's the name? outlier, though. He's the outlier. He's the yeah. rarity. <laughs> like most guys aren't yeah. in that position. Like. How many people have we hired? Ben, right? Ben, that are, ben. Yes. Yeah, Ben, that's right. Uh, ben Coonan. Uh-huh. There's so many people uh-huh. that I've hired over the years that are really good employees, like Sean, like Christian. I've had so many really good employees, but not to the point where I can just turn my business over and walk away. Mm-hmm. Like, I still mm-hmm. have to be mm-hmm. there because it's going to be like, hey, yeah. Brandon, uh, we got this. What is this on the on the drawing? What does this mean? And how, you know, how do you think we should do that? And mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've never gotten to the point, even with really competent people, where I could just say, hey, I'll see you later. I'm, I'm, I'm taking off. So you think it's, it's, it's that uh, lack of, um, I don't know if I can find the right word, but um, you just, you, you, I, I think, well, I think people can be trained to, to do that. And I, and I believe that, but I know that that part is just, it's, it's so much more work, mm-hmm. so much, it's so demanding. You need to sort of, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I want to go there, you know? So that's yeah. sort of, so, so well, yeah, because you're of, bringing yeah. up, yeah, you're adding also the the what I call the human factor along this too. Mm-hmm. You know, if these mm-hmm. were robots or something, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's like having, you know, it's like yeah. you know having the the forklift or something. You're like, oh, whatever. I'll add some mm-hmm. more gas to it or or whatever. Charge the battery when it needs it. Yes. But these people, like in your case, seven years. I mean, this good, bad, or otherwise, this becomes you know part Family. of a daily something somebody to talk yeah. to. Da da da. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
just as much so, I mean, if you're the right person, you want to see these people excel in their life too, which yes. typically then it falls on your shoulders like you were just saying. Well, gosh, you know, I'd, even though they may not be asking, even though maybe they don't warrant it, but there's a side of you like, come on, man, you just, you know, you need a nicer apartment, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you want to see because that's an extension of what you're doing and an extension of your success as well if you can – offer more benefits or better pay or whatever the case may be. But as you're just saying, which the three of us have found, because I have felt that I can't tell you how many times, literally to the point right, right now, my son, who's 14, mm -hmm. he's the one that helps me put orders and stuff together, you know? And even though I came up with a thing and he's still living at home, obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'll give him 20 bucks an hour and this or that. I'm like, ah, but he, he, he wanted to pick up that halo, you know, like, okay, so mm -hmm. today I'm giving you 30, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> because, and that's just what we do. It's what we do. Uh -huh. And, and by default that also can get, as we're all have found time and time again, extremely stressful because now you're feeding that beast, not, and it's no longer just a financial beast. It's emotional too. And then that takes its toll. And anyway, mm -hmm. let it, let it, let it be known. I prefer the robots. Me personally, I prefer yeah, robots. Me yeah, too. yeah, forklift, mixer, yeah. CNC. Uh -huh. I would rather spend my can, days yeah. talking to a CNC, personally. Or you can just hit it. You can hit it with a hammer in the end, right? <laughs> and it's not gonna yeah. sue you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, with employees, no, it's a no-no <laughs> in this country. Yeah. In this country, <laughs> you know, part of being a small shop, which I remember, I saw a post you made a long time ago was some kind of like vacuum lifting thing you were testing. But part of being a small shop yeah. is how do you work by yourself mm -hmm. safely? How do you lift heavy things? How do you move things? Mm -hmm. So what what lessons or tips and tricks have you learned over the years working by yourself? So cranes. Cranes are your friend, you know. Um, I have these two cranes at my shop um, that, I, um, that, that just help me a lot. And um, also... Uh, you know, when you're, um, I guess, in any business, what's important is um, efficiency. So learning how to use different materials that, and, you know, in a quick manner, I'm a, I'm a very impatient person. You know, I don't, you know, I, if, 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 if somebody told me uh, 25 years ago that I would be working with my hands and building things, I would be like, no, that's just not me. So I had to sort of like tame myself and, and, and you know, in order to um, deliver good products um and quality products um but at the same time i can't for example work with epoxy or you know things that just dry for hours and then you have to polish them out for hours and then fix them so i always look for ways to to improve that and i like that you know because it just sort of it's like a, it's like another dimension uh in this in this uh industry and there's so many different ways like you you for example i remember you introduced fabric forming to concrete which is just something amazing. Um, and I believe this is not only used in concrete, but it's, um, um, well, I'm, I'm talking about five different things right now. Uh, you, you asked me about the working as, as, as a one-man show. Man show. Um, I think the biggest challenge with, with concrete is the, the fact that it's heavy. So again, I would, I would strongly recommend getting uh, a crane. Um, and the, the, the tool that you, sh that you saw for lifting bags, it's great, but at the same time, you know, if if I was to 
let's say load the, the the mixer you know five times a day i would do it but you know i maybe cast two or three times a week so i don't use it anymore i just sort of put it on the shelf uh dusty used the gantry crane forever i bought a forklift probably two or three years after i started my business and that was a huge huge game changer and then um i sold it and I went without a forklift again for a while. And then, because uh, the battery died, turns out you have to add water to the batteries, but nobody ever told me that. And then when I came to Arkansas and built my shop here, I got a another forklift and it's a little bit tougher here because I got a steep hill that I have to drive them down. So I got a skid steer. But uh, mechanical advantage is everything. You know, being able to, to lift crates, lift pallets. And, you know, I'm going to be casting a big piece here and I'm just going to put the, the mixing bucket on a pallet essentially mm -hmm. pour 300 pounds and then lift it up. Yeah, mm -hmm. just dump mm -hmm. it in and, and don't uh, kill my back by dipping into a bucket 200 times, you know? I, what, I, what I noticed at your shop, and I think which is, which is a huge thing, and I, I mean, some people just are born with it. I, I, I wasn't. Like, you know, being organized, you know, having a, a good flow in your shop where, you know, like I, I noticed, for example, uh, after so many years that my, my chop saw is too far away from my, you know, from my uh, uh, woodworking table, as, you know, let me put it this way. And I'm like, why is it so far away from my, from my um, table? You know, I'm walking back and forth and that's time, you know, that just adds to, to, to time and time is money. So um, I noticed your, your, um, your um, what do you call them? Your cabinets, they're very neat. I love it. Yeah. I love the way you, you, you put it together. It's just amazing. I think very it's clean, very organized. Yeah, exactly. And I, and you know, also like, like you said, um, if, if I was, you know, if one day, maybe right before I retire, if my shop is like perfectly organized, I can die. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, hopefully you keep it this organized shop then. So you don't ever die. <laughs> yeah. As far as organization goes, when I first started, I was a total mess. Like, I didn't know what I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh -huh. For instance, we talk about perspective a lot, perspective of mix. We'll, we'll get to mix in a minute. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of guys, if you get on the Kodak Pro discussion page, you'll see a lot of people recently saying, I tried Kodak Pro. Oh, my God. It's completely what you said it was. I had to see it for myself. Perspective and not knowing what you don't know. So two super short stories. First is... Maybe I already told the story, but when I was six years old, I was in first grade, my teacher kept writing notes home to my mom saying that I was a horrible student. I didn't pay attention. And back then they could do that. They'd never do that today. But back then, Brandon's a horrible student. Yeah. First mm -hmm. grade. Doesn't pay attention. Disrupts the class. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. My mom took me to the eye doctor. Turned out I couldn't see. But I didn't know that I couldn't <laughs> see. Because if you're born and you go all the way up to that point, never going to an eye doctor, how, everything, your only frame of reference is what you know. That's all you know, Right. And so you assume everybody else sees the same way. You assume that people can only see three feet in front of them. You know, like that's, that's clear. Anything past that isn't. And that's just the way the world is. So anyways, I got glasses and, and then uh, I could see and I was a great student. But it was about a matter of perspective. So when I started my company, it was, my shop was a wreck, a wreck. I mean, it was a mess. Everything was on the floor. Everything was in piles. And I went to a metalworking shop in Phoenix, a guy named Jeff Hebbets. Metal Media was his company. And it was him and another guy. And I went in the shop and it was like a surgical room. It was mm -hmm. immaculate. There wasn't a piece of trash. There wasn't anything out of place. Everything was super organized. Straps, tools, tables, everything was just precise. And I was like, oh my God, dude, this is insane. It's incredible. He's like, it has to be this way. 
we don't have time for it to not, to not be this way. Organization yeah. is efficiency, which is what we're talking about, is efficiency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, time is money. I, I can't spend an hour looking for a tool. I got to know the tool is here. And so he's like, so we can't afford it not to be like this. And that was like the kick in the ass I needed. I went back to my shop. I built shelves. Uh, and this was my old shop in Phoenix. I built shelves, put everything in containers, labeled the containers. And I started the process. And it's a process. It takes years and years. I'm still not there. When I go to my next shop, I'll, I'll do it better than I did it here. But it's a process of incrementally becoming more organized, more focused, and, and better ergonomics of space. Where you put your saw, where you put your mixer, where do you put your whatever it is. So it is efficient, but it takes time. Nobody, nobody does it right out of the gates. Mm. That, that's, that's, uh, it's good to hear because I, I thought I'm the only one who cannot do it. I've been to enough shops that I would say the vast majority are a mess. But that's just the nature of creative people mm. too. I think just creatives inherently don't focus on organization. If you go to any artist studio doing painting, it's a wreck. Yeah. It's just a mess. Yeah, but, uh, you know, when I go to other concrete shops, some of them are, are organized, but I'd say the vast majority are just a hodgepodge of different products and ingredients and tools and scraps of offcuts and melamine and whatever it is all over the place. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I just thought that this is just only me, you know, but I, I, I'm glad it, it isn't. Well, um, there is a, I don't want to, I don't want to, put out the name because you know maybe they they, they wouldn't want me to to to, to um, um do it but there's there's a shop that started business uh at the same time as i did uh he's here in new jersey very famous actually not very famous but um uh, fairly fairly famous in the city uh, well known and um they have like i think twenty thousand square feet you know operation I don't know how many guys, and I saw the shop, and um, it was it, it was nicely organized. I think they had like five or six people in the in the office, and this sort of goes back to this idea of like you know running a bigger shop. But in the end, uh, they sold the business. And think about it this way: Why would you sell such a great, organized, and beautiful business? <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. ready for something else. That's no, for I sure. mean, it's, yeah. so, buddy, buddy Rhodes. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's good friends with, uh, Rogero who owns Concrete Works in San Francisco or wherever, mm-hmm. Rogero, somewhere over mm-hmm. there. Great and, company. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Buddy and I, one time where we went, we went to like a gallery opening or opening that Mark had for some exhibit he was mm-hmm. doing. It was really cool for Concrete. He had these panels and stuff. And this was, I don't know, 10 years ago, but me and Buddy went to dinner afterwards and we're talking about it. And, um, we're just talking about Mark's company, you know, how big it was and mm-hmm. kind of the general consensus between both of us was it's amazing and God bless somebody that can do it, mm-hmm. but it, it's a machine that has to be fed constantly. And if you don't feed mm-hmm. it this month, you know, what, for whatever reason, the projects don't come in, they don't send the deposit or whatever. It still has, you still have to pay your employees. You have to pay your shop lease. You still have to pay your insurance. You still have to pay your taxes. Those bills still have to be paid. Yeah. It's not something that I personally aspire to do. I'd much rather back to kind of full circle to where we began just be a one-man shop. My overhead is way less. You know, when the market crashed in Phoenix, when I was in Phoenix, at one point, so when I started my company, I was one of the first companies in Phoenix doing concrete sinks and countertops in 2004. And then gradually more companies started opening up more and more and more and more and more. And then by like 2007, eight, there was probably 20, 30 guys 
I'd see trucks all over town, concrete sinks and countertops on the sides of them. You'd see Craigslist mm. ads. You'd see, you'd go to a trade show. There'd be all these concrete sink and countertop companies. And I would drive by, you know, I'd, I'd look them up and I'd see their address. I'd drive by their shop. They have these big shops and they'd have box trucks outside with their logos on it. And, you know, I was feeling very envious of this. Mm-hmm. Sure. Here I am just, I, I have like five employees and a flatbed trailer in my Tacoma, you know, and I'm in this mm-hmm. crappy little shop next to a milk factory that smells like hot turds all day, you know, and look mm-hmm. at this guy over here with this huge, beautiful brick warehouse and three, three uh, box trucks and forklifts and CNCs. But then the market crashed and every one of those companies closed shop because they had such mm-hmm. a big overhead bill that they couldn't sustain themselves. When the market crashed, they couldn't sustain. And I'd lay off my guys, but my shop was a thousand bucks a month. I didn't have any equipment yeah. that wasn't paid for. I owned, I owned everything. It didn't take a whole, whole lot for me to stay in business. And so the market crashed. I laid off pretty much everybody, but Sean, I just kind of rode it out. And it was like Forrest Gump, that scene where the hurricane hits yeah. and he wasn't catching any shrimp. And then he caught all the shrimp. And that was me because the <laughs> Phoenix market, everybody closed shop. Everybody, everybody, you know, that was in Phoenix closed shop for mm-hmm. a while. Some of them opened back up after a while, but for a time I was the only guy in town doing concrete sinks and countertops. And so all these architects and designers and builders that before didn't go to me because maybe I was too expensive for whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the reason was, now they had to go to me because I was the only guy in town. So, hey, uh, we're doing this restaurant. We need, mm-hmm. we need concrete sinks. I'm your guy, right? So then I got all the business mm-hmm. and that was great. But it all had to do with staying small, not having a lot of overhead, not having a lot of expenses. And uh, I think that's, there's, there's no shame in that. I'm glad you, you you said that the shame part. I think it's the, the envy and shame, all those emotions that drive us, you know, men. <laughs> you yep. know, they drive us humans they drive us into a wall many times. Yeah. yeah, they drive us into a wall many times. And I, I it's it's such a, I mean, I think it's also you. Uh, um, you know, I just turned 45, so I realized certain things in my life that you know what, all this nonsense that I believed in, it's just okay. You know, it's possible. Some some people do make it. Some do make it big, but it doesn't mean that they're happier than I am. You know, correct. And yeah. it's just well, and it's on a reflection of, of you. I think sometimes when you talk about envy and jealousy and those types of emotions, which are they're they're in everybody. I experience them mm-hmm. myself. I've told John. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've talked on a podcast. I don't know if I've talked about it. But there's a there's a person I follow on social media. Young person, super successful. Like insanely successful. And it was a totally different industry, not our industry, but a totally different industry. But so successful mm-hmm. to the point to where I'm like, oh, how's this person like 25 and have 30 employees? And, you know, he's in mm-hmm. this country and that country and, and traveling the world and flying first class. And how, but that has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. me. But that's, that's the jealousy side. But I think people sometimes look at other people's success and it makes them feel bad about themselves. And yeah. their success has zero relation to your place in life or where you're at, your success, your failure, whatever it is. But that's that's the way we operate as humans. So we look at other people and then we internalize whatever they're doing to to ourselves. It's a it's a trap to look at other people as um it could be a trap. Uh, I look if you look at other people's work as inspiration, yes, that's perfect. You know, because I, you know, that's sort of I don't know what the dif- what the difference is whether it's envy or jealousy, but I think it's the, the right word is envy. You, you're envious of somebody's success, but not in a way where you feel like, oh, I deserve this more than you do. But 
you know what, if they can do it, I can do it too. So in that way, I look at other people's work and they say, yeah, I can, but I guess not any, not as I used to. It could be like a, you know, like a kick for you. Oh, they, they're doing well. I can, I can do it too. That's, that, that should be always something that we should cherish, you know, that, right. you know, some people are just um, like, like uh, you look, you look up to them, but at the same time, like I noticed that every time I go on Instagram and I see people, let's say, do these nice projects, I'm, I have those feelings of envy or whatever, jealousy. I'm like, no, I don't want this. You know, I'm not that person, but it's just bigger than, you know, it's, it's stronger than I am. So I decide not to look at those things or try to train myself. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just, it's just sick, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if you, if you think about it, just last thought, because I, I actually, when you were talking about the guys in Arizona, all those companies, I, until today, I don't realize, I don't know. I don't, I can't, uh, I don't find a reason why on the East coast where I am, there's only a, a handful of companies that do what I do. You know what I mean? It's such a huge market and there's only very few people who do this. I'd I'm say like, it's the come? expenses. New York City is expensive. It's hard to work in. I, you couldn't pay me enough to operate in New York City. I just wouldn't do it. If, if you said, I'll give you a million dollars a year to come run a company here, I'd say, yeah, keep your money. I'd rather, I'd rather not. I Why? think that's what it is. But it's very exciting. Mm, I very think we exciting. have different, different ideas of what exciting is. For me, exciting is being uh -huh. in the middle of no... Dude, if I won the lottery today, if I won $500 million, I'd buy a massive piece of property... I'd build right in the middle of it so nobody knew I was there. I wouldn't want anybody to see my house. I'd buy a bulldozer. I'd buy a skid steer. I'd buy a, a excavator. I'd buy a crane. And I'd just be out there building by myself all day, every day. And that would mm -hmm. be pure bliss for me. Pure bliss. Yeah. If I win the lottery. Yeah. It wouldn't be living in the see, city. See, I'm... Well, and that's how I... I mean, I love where I live. It's rural area and this and that. But when I think of the city, now speaking of envy... Remick, when you were taking the pictures during the pandemic and I guess you mm -hmm. were downtown Manhattan or something like that, wherever you were, you mm -hmm. know, to me, if I had an apartment or something to, you know, go downstairs to a coffee shop or whatever, that would be a great getaway. But kudos to you. I'm the same. I, I could never, I personally could not live around all of that. Uh, it just seems, you know, very busy. But, you know, you live there, so you may tell us otherwise. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, if I, 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 would, I would also buy a land, you know, a piece of land, build, build my house and everything else. Yes. But my point is that there's so much money here. And, you know, if you think about running a business, you run business not for only fun. And usually people run businesses for money. And there's so much, so many uh, so much money here that that's that was sure. my own my only thought you know because um and there are so much so many people doing crazy things and they don't do any money and at the same time um like i said the person that i just mentioned who sold their business they're here they're serving this market you know so so that's what um makes me wonder but i would if it's only money if people only did concrete for money which they don't but if they did there's things you can make more money at with less work, for sure. I think everybody could agree with that. If it, if money is your only driving factor, you could you could do a lot of things that take. You could just you could be a salesman for uh, vinyl windows, probably make more money doing exactly. commission only. You know, you're right. You would hate your life. You would hate it, but you'd make more money. You know, we do this because we love it. We love the freedom until we get a lot of employees and we don't have freedom. We love it for the freedom of it. We love it for the creativity of it. We love it for the visceral satisfaction of taking dust, mixing it with water, and making something with our hands that didn't exist before. 
there's a ton of satisfaction. The very first thing I ever made, I used Buddy Rhodes Mix. I bought the first palette from Buddy Rhodes, by the way. Some people don't mm-hmm. know that, but palette number one, BG bought it. But I bought, I, I made this table for my mom and I used Buddy Rhodes Mix and I put broken glass bottles in it and I polished it down. The very first thing I ever made and I looked at it, the sense of pride and satisfaction. If I looked at it today, it'd look like a, a paver, like it looked like junk. But to me back then, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I still get that feeling when I make something and I demold it and it's like, oh my God, this is beautiful. And you don't get that from selling vinyl windows. You don't get that from being a lawyer or maybe you do, but I don't think so. But you do get those things when you actually make things with your hands. So when you were younger, you didn't think you'd be making things with your hands. You'd have the patience for it. But now you're at this point where there is immense satisfaction in making things, making things well, making things at the highest level that you're capable of at that moment in time. And there's a lot of satisfaction in that. I agree 100%. Um, uh, maybe before uh, we, we move on to something else, uh, you mentioned the table you made for your mother. I made a, I remember I made a sample, just a 12 by 12 sample with white concrete. And I remember when I polished it with some, I don't know, some sandpaper, wet, wet, wet sandpaper, you know, like the one that you use for, um, for body work on cars. I remember I walked, I mean, I, I sanded it and then I, then I waxed it and I couldn't believe how smooth and beautiful it was. I, I think I spent like an hour touching it, like in the garage, you yeah. know, by myself, <laughs> yeah. touching the yeah. piece of concrete for an hour. And I was like imagining things like I will be selling this to everybody because it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Dude. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's real. Well, when I demold it's, it's something, yeah. something new, like a new design, I'll demold it. And mm-hmm. I'll stand there for hours. Every, you know, everybody's gone. I'm just me in my shop for hours yeah. just looking at it. My wife will call. Hey, you coming home for dinner? Yeah, I'll be home in a little bit. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? I'm working. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hang up the phone. And I just stand there and I stare Cheating. at it. Cheating. I just stare at it. I'm like, oh my yeah. God. But that, that table I made for my mom. So here's the rest of the story. So I made this table. I went down to Lowe's. I got Redwood 4x4s. I made this base for it. I mean, it's just a little side table. She had these rocking chairs on her porch. And it was a, a table to go in between the rocking chairs. So I make this table, I seal it with Buddy Rhodes penetrating and beeswax, and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I load it in the back of my Ford Ranger. I had a stick shift red single cab Ford Ranger, load it in the back from Arizona, strap it down, drive from Arizona to Arkansas. It's like 24 hours driving. Get there. My mom is having a barbecue at her house. Everybody's there, all these family members there. I'm like, Mom, I made you this table. Look at it. Surprise. She's like, oh, it's beautiful. I love it. And then she's like, tells my dad, hey, put it at the side of the house, okay? And like my dad like carries yeah. it and puts it around the side of the house. Nobody can see. I'm like, where's the table? Where's the table? She's like, oh, it's it's uh, it's over there, you know, on the side of the house. I'm like, ah. But uh, such is such mother's mom. love. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I told you I had a tough well, childhood, she, man. She was working on you like on a piece of steel. Pretty still, much. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Kick you in the teeth. That'll make you stronger. Yeah, boy named Sue. Um, Something else that we were going to talk about was the products you used. So Mm -hmm. you can share what you've used or not. doesn't matter. But you have tried Kodiak Pro. And, you know, I know you're Mm -hmm. a pretty pretty straightforward, honest person, which I like about you. So what are your thoughts on it? Mm -hmm. So I bought several bags from from Joe Bates, right? Um, I really love the way... Uh, all those components, I mean, there's not that many components, it's the mix, the, the fibers and the plasticizer, but I really like the way it mixes. I was really surprised because I, before when I tried different mix designs, which were supposed to be like, you know, the, the new and, and, and the best, 
uh, there was always a problem. Um, and, and here I was extremely surprised how really well it mixed. Um, and um, I only used it for your uh, clay mix, right? Clay sort of, uh, how do you, what do you call it? Clay mix, yeah. Clay mix yeah. and I also, clay, yeah. yes. Uh, I used yeah. clay because I built this, I, I actually showed it to, to John, uh, this, this structure that I've been building for years now, this, this cube. And I really love the way you you can work with it, and um and I never I'll be honest with you I never used those fine those very fine fibers in my life even though I've had so much experience with concrete, I've always only used um uh, glass fibers, and those small PVAs I don't know which ones they are ten or something, fifteen I don't know the very fine ones, mm-hmm. they give you this this um again to, I'm talking about this because this is new to me. Um, I like the way the material held together. I was able to actually put it in the form upside down and it would stick, you know, to the to the form. And um, it was really nice to work with. I like the way, you know, the, the workability uh, aspect of it is, was really good. I still need to try and see how um, how it's gonna spray, but I have a feeling it's gonna spray really well by the by the way by the way it looked in the bucket. Um, and also, I did ECC, and it was also uh, uh, a very, uh, you know, had very good results. However, my question would be this, um, and because again, I'm sorry if it's a stupid question, but I didn't really look into the curing. I I left it in the form for what maybe 12 hours, but I have a feeling mm-hmm. I should be it should be left in the form for longer than that. No? Do you listen to the podcast, Remick? I do, but I don't. You know, it's like when somebody gives me directions, I, I go, I look the other way. Because we've talked you know? about this a thousand <laughs> times, a thousand times, Remick. How to but properly listen, if, if if you talk about something that I'm not really interested in, then I'm, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, yeah. As a concrete guy, curing should be right up there because it is. I, I tell you, as somebody like you, okay, forever. I need to interrupt you. I need to, well, I was just say for, to interrupt you. Well, hold on. Before you interrupt me, I'll just say curing okay. wasn't something that I was passionate about for a long time. When I met John, he kept telling me how to cure it. I'm like, ah, Hiram said I could just leave it open air. It's fine. But curing makes a tremendous difference. It doesn't matter what kind of concrete you're using. Quickcrete 5000 to Kodiak Pro Maker Mix, curing will make any concrete far better. But go ahead. That I know. That I know. And I, and I, 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 would, not, I would tell anybody, and I know this by heart, that curing is a key. However... Uh, I know, and I spoke to John about this, um, uh, that your mix doesn't have as much um, polymer as, as GFRC, correct? Yeah, how, no. the, the polymer yeah, is in it only for particle compaction. We're not using polymer for exactly. traditional polymer. Yeah. So, yeah. so so, when you look at the chemistry of concrete and you know the curing regime, um, we know that GFRC was designed, the polymers were designed, so you could actually limit the, the amount of curing. Am I correct? Well, that was a selling point. I think mm-hmm. primarily just to sell more polymer, but the truth is, had they properly cured GFRC like that, that that style of GFRC, Forton VF774 and 5050, mm-hmm. had they cured it the way we cure, it still would have been a far superior end product. Correct. To sell it, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you can just leave it out in the open air. Well, you can. It'll get hard. As John says, a plate won't fall through it, but why, why not cover it properly? It doesn't take more than five minutes, and you end up with a far superior product. So why not do it? No, what I, are you saying? Yeah, you're right. So so I do I do cure it. I did cure this the the cube that I built with this. I cured it for 12 hours at least with heat. You right? So I did you know go through the 24 minutes. Okay, exactly. Yeah. So the next time. Yeah. Exactly. So this is what I wanted to 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 find out because um um I took a hammer to this to this thing, right? <laughs> next day. <laughs> 
Jesus. It wasn't even the next <laughs> day. It was a half day later, 12 hours later. Not yeah. No, like three days later. All three right. days later. And um, yeah. I mean, you can cut this out if you want to, but I, I, I it didn't feel as... Um, as a hard mix as uh, as the regular GFRC. Well, I'm not going to cut it out because that's a good example of why you should properly cure. Properly okay. curing concrete makes a tremendous difference. Had I left something open there for 12 hours and I demolded it, I wouldn't expect it to be anywhere near the performance of something I left for 24 hours, felt plastic blankets, let it exotherm, let all that moisture that would have evaporated off into the atmosphere, let it hydrate into the mix, turn on the crystalline growth, and create a very, very, very strong, dense mix. The other thing I would say is, I know you like the PVAs. I, too, am a glass guy. I would try the glass. Me and John go back and forth on this. I think PVAs have a very, very uh, good use for workability. If you're doing hand-carved or doing upright mm -hmm. cast, hand-shroud, you need PVAs because they need to be able to burn off. But if you don't need to carve it or hand-shroud it, anything like that, Glass, in my opinion, is a far superior fiber for primary reinforcement for concrete. I see mm -hmm. it with my own eyes. We do classes. We do pieces using PVA fibers. We do pieces doing glass fibers. They're cured properly. Uh, and after the class, some of the pieces, attendees don't take them home with them. I'm like, oh, let's just break them. The PVA pieces, I'll drop them. They'll shatter into 100 pieces. When, mm -hmm. I, when I drop a GFRC piece, those cured the same way, same mix, it bounces. It'll bounce off mm -hmm. the ground. I got to take a sledgehammer and beat it, and it'll break into like three pieces. So, so, so you prove my. I mean, you you sort of confirm my what I what I what I what I experienced because, like I said before, I didn't work with PVAs before. You know, like you know, before I started mixing your mix. Um, so maybe I was just looking at something completely new. Yeah, and that's why I asked about this curing. You know, is this the cure? Is it the curing? But it could be also the the fibers. John, what do you what do you have to say about this? What what was like? Well, as is typical, the conversation mm -hmm. gets a lot more complicated than this. So PVAs. Here's another very simple one. PVAs are a hydration-based bonding fiber. So mm -hmm. if you have a fiber whose strength has to do with the amount of cement hydration, you know the true mm -hmm. PVA strengths, and that, let's say comparatively speaking, you're not going to see the same strengths for well weeks. Or, mm -hmm. or so forth, so on, where glass is a mechanically bonding fiber. So Got it. you're you're almost gaining mm -hmm. all of its strength yeah. very quickly. PVAs don't don't do that. PVAs has its lowest strengths to begin with and gains strength as the concrete continues to cure. So yeah, it, it, and then the other thing, if you were taking a clay mix and packing it and then trying to compare that list to say to you know, again, uh, an SCC mix S or these yes. kind of things. Mm -hmm. Well, then, yeah, you, you're going to have micro voids and a lot of other things going on. So, but just timetable to timetable, it's undeniable that, let's say, in an early 24-hour period, a mechanically bonding fiber is going to have a lot better early strength than something like a PVA. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. But Great. It, mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you run that comparison out to whatever, two weeks – six months or whatever the case may be, you know, as that continued bonding happens out of the PVA, as it's supposed to, then that, that changes the conversation dramatically. And, you know, anyway, and then you can talk impact resistance and blah, 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 mm -hmm, blah. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but yes, no, an absolute reality would be early strength performance. If that's the only criteria, then a mechanically bonding fiber would outperform a PVA fiber 
Yeah, every good. day of the week. Well, well, I'm glad I'm, I asked this question then because I learned something new. Yeah. I didn't know I say, this. When you, when you mm -hmm. do, do another test at some point, do SEC, GFRC, using Maker Mix, cover it as we describe on our website. If you go to FAQ, we break down how to do the curing regimen in, in text form. And if you go to uh, tutorials, we have a video on how to do it. So either, either way you want to see the process. But cure it properly. Let it cure for a minimum of 24 hours from the time you cover it. And then do your test. And I think you'll be very surprised at the end result versus the GFRC you've been using in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a much oh, yeah. And then I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you what my biggest challenge is um, uh, with, with the concrete. There's two things. And I, I, I hope, I hope this is not only my problem. First one is the, the sink cutouts, you know, it's on big, larger pieces. You know, always. The, I mean, so many times those, especially when we when we deliver and install those, you know, those micro cracks appear. So I, uh, um, I think on my next kitchens, if I if I ever have to do them again, I will use um, the the basalt uh, or even uh, glass um, rods just to mm. see if it helps at all. And the other thing that I just hate is um, the corners. You know, they seem to be like chipping too easily. And I'm like, I don't know whether it's the, 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 I don't know. Do you have any suggestions on like, you know, have you noticed Are we that? talking about a, like a spray, a, like a spray face yeah. kind of idea? Yeah, yeah, mostly. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that would be it. Yeah. Lack, again, A, the mix you're currently using. Which uh, isn't maker mix. Which is a fairly simple mix. Which yeah, terrible. Which is a, terrible. Yeah. No, no, but, well, hang on. But let's even talk about that for a minute. We're, I mean, we're hearing more and more with, mm -hmm. with guys with similar to yourself. Hey, well, you know, this is right next door. It's easy for me to run down and get, I don't have to stock a pallet at a time or whatever the case may be. See, that would be something you could probably take the rad mix and upgrade your mix using the rad mix and create an upgraded version. And, and we're hearing more and more where guys are doing that. Everything from, you know, a blend house to a, to an HP 50 to whatever the case may be, that's happening more and more. And, and we're totally down with it if, if that helps people improve and, you know, escalate their materials. So, hey, I mean, it's pretty simple, you know, a, a cement sand sprayed, uh, you know, again, yeah. it's, it's not going to be yeah. the most chip resistant. It's nature mm -hmm. of the beast. I think we all know it. So mm -hmm. fiber technologies, different kinds of fiber technologies, really in that situation being used to kind of hold it all together, which, you know, that would be even something either monofilament glass or again, see, that's the kind of places where something like your PVA, which is what I call mm -hmm. impact resistant. This is where your PVAs would shine dramatically mm -hmm. in comparison. Uh, if you were, you know, mixing it into the spray face and upgrading the mix to make it more, you know, higher density and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's how you could get, yeah, move all that to a new level. Yep. I, 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 I hear you. I think I need to do some. The thing is, you know, once you get into this, I mean, once you adapt certain techniques, you just go with it. Right. And then with time, you realize, OK, this is this is the problem. This is the problem. But you don't have the time anymore to adjust those things because you, you have new contracts you need to fill and you have, um, you know, all these responsibilities yeah. and um, it's hard. It's just not easy to, to improve things, especially when it comes to mix design, because then you have to t change all your you know colors and this and that. So it's, it's a, it's a fairly yeah. involved process. It's not just a matter of, of picking up a bag off of a shelf, you know, buying your material, because then I had to change everything 
uh, that I've been doing up until this time. So it's that's that's something that I that I would also put out to you. No, hundred percent for me. I agree, and, and somebody that uh, struggled for a lot of years with basic mixes and the issues that go along with those. And getting comfortable with your systems, you get comfortable with spraying, mm-hmm. you get comfortable with hand packing, you get comfortable with chips, you get comfortable with micro cracks, you get comfortable with all the things that, that go along with it, but you get comfortable with it. You get, com- you get comfortable with not curing properly. John's like, mm-hmm. right. dude, you got to cure like this. I'm like, ah, Hiram Ball said I don't have yeah. to. I'm not going to, right? You get comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But the cost, the cost of doing that at some point outweighs the cost of upgrading to a, a better mix and everything goes along with that, which means, well, now you do have to cast new color samples, right? To give to clients. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say if you have to recast one project because you used a, a simple mix and you had problems with it, the client wasn't happy, it broke during installation, whatever, whatever the reason was, you had to remake one piece. I mean, the, re- the, the reality of that, and you know this, is it isn't the cost of the materials, it's the cost of time. So it's one of the things, like, in my opinion, uh, at some point, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You get tired of remaking stuff. You get tired of things not going as, as they should. And you're like, all right, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm done. I'm going to do it. And that's, that's what we're hearing from guys. But I think, you know, that's, you have to get to that point. You know, you have to hit rock bottom, Remick. You have to hit rock bottom for you want to make a change. So, you, so you're telling me that your mix is going to make my life beautiful. It's going to make... <laughs> Everything better. Everything. Okay. Everything. Your sex life is going to get better. It's not going to clean up your shop, though. Your so. bald spot's uh-huh. going to grow back. Everything is going to get better. I promise. I trust you. Love it. <laughs> when you got this stuff from Joe, yeah. <laughs> when you when you ordered from, did you end up ordering any Radmix, Remick? Yes. Did you? You did. Yeah. You know what? Then let's talk about that. I'll, if you're if you're still using the other material. You know, I'll give you some recommendations to blend in with that material. I would just keep the liquid. Do you do you use liquid polymer still with the other mix? Yes, I'm using. Listen, here's the thing. Nobody needs to persuade me to use a better mix. Uh, you, you know, I totally get it. I like I said, I've listened to your product podcast before, and uh, everything on, let's say, on podcast sounds great. My challenge, my challenge is the time. And I'm not saying I will not make the switch. If I, if I, my, my, my challenge is the time to test it. Okay. Uh-huh. So that's my challenge here. Because if I find a mix that actually solves several problems of mine, I will not even, I will not tell you, oh, it's too expensive. No, like you, you guys talk about the cost. The cost is not even, not an issue to me at all. You know, it not well. It shouldn't just, to anybody. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's nonsense. You know what? Nonsense. I just yeah. It's nonsense. You know what? I just I just I just started using this material from from uh, from wall for, for wall finishes from Europe. I liked it for certain reasons. I don't I don't think I've ever used the material like that in America, uh, American made, and um, I think it's clay based or lime based, something like that. And I really like it. You know how much it costs per square foot. As, a, as an overlay, like, you know, that eight, maybe 16 of an inch, uh, um, um, uh, you know, layer of, of cementitious material. It's not even cementitious. It costs $6 a square foot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money, no? A ton of for money. Some, for, for, yeah. for, uh, it's a ton of money. $6. And, you, you know, we, so I just paid for like two buckets of material, $1,000, because I was redoing some somebody's, you know, uh, somebody's project. And I'm like, what is this? Why is this? But at the same time, 
I just tell my clients, this is the this is the cost. And I'll be doing this floor uh, very soon. They have just regular slab, you know, and which cracked and they don't like the cracks. So I'll, I'll try and sort of cover it with, with the micro topping and maybe prevent the cracks from happening. But that's another story. And I told them right off the bat, I have this material. It looks good. I like it as, you know, the way it looks, I like it. But it's it's gonna cost you. Um, it, the material itself, it's, itself is expensive, and it's gonna cost you twenty dollars a square foot, which makes this project twenty thousand dollars. In the end, it's mm -hmm. gonna be maybe two or three days of work. You know, it's very easy money, very good money, and they say it, that's fine. Yeah. Like what, dude? What? We live in a different reality than our clients. Our clients have private jets. You know. Literally, they live in a totally different realm where we say twenty thousand dollars, and we're like, you know, twenty thousand. They're Cheap. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you take, you got any change? Let me pull out my twenty thousand dollar bill. You know, uh, yeah. For them, it's nothing. They don't care. But we we worry about well, it because in our world, you know, when we go to the store, we get like the generic noodles or whatever it is. You know, we're like we're trying to save money, but they don't do that. Right. No, what I'm saying is this, Brendan. There's a lady. Working at uh, at at uh, supermarkets, she's working on one of those essential workers, and she's making forty thousand dollars tops a year. Mm -hmm. And I'll go, I'll go, and I'll use this 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 cement or whatever lime based material, which in materials may cost I don't know fifty dollars. Okay, I pay premium, I pay thousand dollars, and somebody will pay twenty thousand dollars for the floor. All right, it's two two three days of work, and I just. That's how I, you know, look at this, the, this, this discrepancy between those two, you know, you tell me that those clients are a different reality, but that lady on the cash register, she's, she also lives in a different reality from mine. True. Mm -hmm. That's 100% right? true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, we live in like parallel universes here. All of us do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, there was a, so there was a time. That's, that's, the, that's the socialist in me talking right now. Well, there was a time when, uh, when, when I had that red Ford Ranger that I literally would dig underneath the seat and find change and go to Crystal Burgers. I don't know if you know Crystal. I think it's White Castle where you are. No. But go, you have White mm -hmm. Castle where you are? White Castle, yes. Yeah, yeah. So in the South, it's mm -hmm. called Crystal. But anyways, I'd go there because you can get 50 cent hamburgers. So there was a time in my life when I would like dig. I'm like, oh my God, yes. And I could go down and get a hamburger, right? That was a time in my life. And, you know, mm -hmm. I would think then of where I am today as unfathomable. Wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, you have mm -hmm. that much income, it. whatever. Mm -hmm. But now I'm at this point mm -hmm. and the struggle's still there, just <laughs> at a different scale, you know, B more money, more problems. So now the, right. now the 50 cents is a bigger, a bigger coin I have to find underneath the cushion to do what I want to do, you know? So it's, it's just mm -hmm. a matter of, uh, of time and perspective. And we all keep moving up, you know, billionaires have billionaire problems. Millionaires have millionaire problems. And then there's guys like us down yep. at the lower end of the food chain, but we have our own problems. So, yep, yep. But our reality, I did a, I did a desk for a client and mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was a very difficult desk to make. It was a very small desk, but very difficult to form. And uh, it ended up taking way more time than I anticipated, way more time. But I charged a client, well, they asked me to bid it. I bid $13,000 on this desk. So $13,000. I didn't hear from them for six months. And that price was for me, the price, I don't want to do a price. I'm going to throw this price out there. They're going to say no. And that's great because I don't want to do it because I knew what the form was going mm -hmm. to take, right? 13,000. Mm -hmm. Don't hear from six months. Six months goes by. I get an email. Hey, the client decided to move forward. Um, do we send you a check or do you take credit card for the deposit? Okay, great. I mean, it was a price where if they did it, I would be happy to do it. 
So I do it and hydraulic pressure comes into play and the form comes apart and you know, the three quarter inch <laughs> thickness becomes an inch thickness and I spend days and days and days on my hands and knees water polishing it back down to become three quarters of an inch. Anyways, uh. so I'm, I'm in this thing for way more hours than I anticipated, right? So that $13,000 and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, making 15 bucks an hour for what I do, but mm-hmm. whatever, I get it done, I create it up, I ship it, the client's ecstatic, the architect's ecstatic, everybody loves it, great. So I'm talking to the architect, they, they call me about another project, I'm like, hey, this, uh, this client, because I made other stuff for him, these black Muskoka chairs and black desk and black, all this black stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, this guy like Bruce Wayne or something? Because everything I, I shipped him was black. They're like, yeah, oh, yeah, pretty much. I said, uh, you know, when we contacted you about the desk, he was looking at doing a, a cast aluminum desk that they're going to blacken the aluminum. I said, really? If you don't want me asking, what was the price on that? What do you think it was? Well, uh, you want me to uh, guess the price, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you yeah. think? What do you think yeah. aluminum desk would cost? Aluminum? Yeah. Aluminum cast? Yeah. When, when was this? Uh, years ago? Probably seven, eight years ago, 10 years ago. I don't know. I'm going to say 50 grand. 75. 75,000 yeah, bucks. Close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 70, well, you were. 75,000 bucks for a desk, a five foot desk. 75,000 bucks. I charged 13. I thought 13 was insane. I thought 13 was your bananas yeah. to spend $13,000 on a desk. Mm-hmm. $75,000. Mm-hmm. And they said the client money was not the deciding factor. He does not care about money. This is what the architect says. Mm-hmm. This client does not care about money. He liked the concrete better than the aluminum. That's why he went with concrete. Well, yeah. there you go. Here's the thing, though. I mean, I get these. Pro- I mean, everybody gets these projects that you know that you can go either seven grand or seventy grand. And which one do you pick? You know, <laughs> it's just that's what it is. It's like, and I'm honestly, I, I just because I think it's just a matter of deciding how you price yourself. Yeah, you know. And I, at some point, I, I real, I, I decided, and I spoke to um, you probably know Jared from uh, yeah, yeah, Montana. yeah, yeah. I love yeah. Jared. Nice guy. He does. He works for for these you know very wealthy clients, and um, uh, sometimes I send him a project and just ask him you know for uh, you know what do you think, and usually he he prices this uh, twice as much as I do. Um, uh, and many times um, I don't get those jobs because I don't know, maybe I was too expensive still. However, however, um, I think it's just a matter of deciding how much you 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 price yourself. Uh, because I don't feel like, you know, cheating people out of their money, you know, but at the same time, I don't feel like cheating myself out of my 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 no, time. Have an income. Yeah. Well, right? dude, Agreed. I agree 100 percent. I I take great satisfaction. My price is my price is my price. I don't care if you pull up in a Prius or a Bentley. My price is my price, and I have a way to price things. I don't just pull numbers out of the air. But that being said, when a project comes along like that desk, I look at the form and I think, you know, here's my square footage price. I do the calc, and I'm like, oh, it'd be eight thousand bucks or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. I'm like, this is going to be a big pain in the dick. I know it's going to be a big pain. I'm going to add 5,000 bucks to it because I know there's a lot of unknowns in this that are going to pop yes. up. So I add that to it as mm-hmm. like a you know safety margin on it. I don't feel bad about mm-hmm. that. And then when I do it, it ends up taking even far more time than I anticipated. And I end up not losing money, but not really making money. I could have made some, some standard sinks and you know walked with the same net profit for the amount of time I put into it. Then you're like, oh my God. I mean, you know, for the most part, we do we do okay with our pricing, but sometimes you do get burned to an extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what what a great question is, I think. I mean, it's not my question, but it's actually it's what came up when I talked to Jared is like 
I showed him this project, this island was, you know, three dimensional island. And, he, and I say, you know what? I, I know how to do this. Because I, I sort of like, you know, I've done projects similar to that and I can figure it out where it just works for me. It's not going to be extremely difficult. But he says to me, Remick, how many people can do this? Yeah. Or how many people are willing to do this? And that's a good question, actually. It's a great and question. That's when yeah. you, right? And that's yeah. when, you, when you start to ask yourself a question, how, how do I price my experience? Because mm -hmm. that's, that's what they're paying for, right? And the I risk. Mean, you, you, and the risk. Because there's yeah. a risk, the risk in doing too, it. Yes, yeah. but you know what? But your, the risk is already, the, the risk should be already, you've made those mistakes already, right? I mean, mm. I've, I still I make got mistakes. burned so many I still times. Make mistakes. No, no, of course. I, I, true, 100%. However, you know, don't, you don't make many, maybe as many as you used to, or, you know, you don't make those mistakes anymore. True. And you know, you know that this product that you're looking at, if somebody else tries to, even tries to make it, they can end up with with a problem or they, they will call you in the end because, you know, so my question is, question to myself is, how do I price my experience? It's like you're like a surgeon, you know, mm -hmm. a surgeon with five years of experience versus surgeon with 30 years of experience. How do you, that's, it's a. Well, you know, we talked one. about it on, on a past podcast, but the profit first for contractors, I think is a great place for a lot of guys to start and to do the math on what is your actual cost to, to live the lifestyle that you have and to run your business and then work backwards to determine what, you, at minimum, what do you need to charge per hour to do that? And then after you have some experience doing this, you'll be able to somewhat gauge, you know, sometimes you'll get burned like I did with that desk, but it'll take me 20 hours to do this. Well, 20 times, let's say 300 an hour, 6,000 mm -hmm. bucks, right? So 6,000 bucks is the minimum I need to do that for. Anything less than that, I'll lose money on it. Anything less, a dollar less, I lost a dollar on it. So being able to, to do that exercise, go through that process, I think is important. I want to tell you a quick story about Jared because uh, it was funny. Mm -hmm. So years and years ago, many years ago, this client hit me up to do a sink, a crazy big sink. And uh, and I noticed on the plant, he sent me like a rendering and I noticed it was Jared's company that had done the rendering, right? But mm -hmm. he sent it to me to price. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. huh, that's weird. So I call up Jared. I'm like, hey, dude, uh, have you heard of this guy? I don't know, John Smith. Have you heard of John Smith? He's mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy's like a big pain in the butt. I was like, well, he just sent me a rendering to price. He's like, oh my God. He's like, I've been working with that guy, blah, blah, blah. I said, tell me the number you gave it, gave to him. So I, I'm just going off memory, but let's just say it was like 17,621 and 23 cents. So uh -huh. I write a proposal <laughs> to the penny, the exact same number back to the guy, to the penny. And he knew that I knew and he didn't respond. Yeah. He knew that I knew. But it sounds like the price that Gerard gave with the penny at the end, I think, yeah, it sounds like him. Yeah. That's and, what he does. <laughs> yeah. A non-specific non number. That's, that's part of the, uh, yeah. the Ackerman uh -huh. negotiation thing is non-specific number is very calculated. You have to, you have, to have a, uh -huh. an odd number. But uh, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure that client like, got the number back thinking I was going to come in cheaper. And he's like, what mm -hmm. the hell? It's the exact same number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would have made it two cents, two cents lower, just to get the just to get the job. I did it just <laughs> so he would higher. know, just so he would know, because yeah, yeah, that's that's such a dick move to do. If you if you start working with somebody and they go through all the hassle of putting together renderings and drawings and shop drawings, and you take those oh, no, and shop them terrible. around, yeah, you deserve to get yeah, burned. Yeah, that's horrible. All right, guys. Well, we've been going on for way too long. I got to edit this thing down. Is there any last mm -hmm. topics you want to hit, Remick? 
No, I think I think you got pretty much uh, a lot of material. I, you know, we could talk for hours, but maybe next time, huh? Yeah, there'll be next yeah, time. We'll John, next what do you time. got? Any last follow-up? No, that's it. Yeah. No, I had a list of things, but man, we went all kinds of directions, so that's awesome. Remick, we got to bring you back on. All right, guys. Pleasure. It's great talking to you. All right, Rick. guys. Fantastic. Take care, guys. Adios. Remick, was good talking to you. Adios. Adios. Adios.